Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29, a Peachtree Hoops podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chouinard. I'm here with Glenn Willis uh, a day after the Hawks won their first round series against the Knicks. Uh, what, what, what's your biggest takeaway from that series, Glenn? Uh, just how well the team grew over the last part of the season in terms of learning how to play with each other. I think they really maximized um, kind of the versatility of the, uh, the guys that are in the rotation um, and learn, just really learn how to move the ball to the, to um, kind of punish the whatever the defense was throwing at them. And Trey was a part of that, but even when a second pass or third pass was needed. So I, just them buying into the team basketball, you know, that's not – from fair or unfair or some of both, but that's not the necessarily kind of the brand, for example, that Trey brought to the league. There's a lot of knocks on him about kind of the way things looked his year at Oklahoma and stuff. But I, you know, I have to say, I, when you do it on this stage, kind of, uh, you know, New York, not the best team in the playoff field, but, you know, it's quite the stage there and all of that and all the physicality and how competitive the first few games were. I hope that merit is gone, you know, and I, I think it trade deserves for everyone to just move on from that. Um, so, but not just him, the whole team really bought into kind of playing team basketball on both ends of the court. Um, and that's, that makes me excited about kind of where the franchise is going, I think. Yeah. I think the Knicks made it easier for him in the, you know, in terms of the context of, you know, does Trey play team basketball because, you know, it was never really a decision for him. Hey, do I have to get off the ball? He never really had to because they didn't kind of take that approach with him. They kind of let him do what he wanted to do. There were not a whole lot of instances where they uh, did stuff to try to get the ball out of his hands. Um, so in a way, I think they enabled him, but man, he's phenomenal. Like, I, I don't mean that as a critique. I just mean that. If yeah, that question I, I lingers, like, I don't think the Knicks were the team to sort of bring it out of him. Um, yeah, but I but I felt like there were a few times when the Knicks were starting to adjust and throw something differently. And I was impressed that the coaching staff immediately called stuff to get Trey off ball, to at least to start a set off ball. Yeah. And like right. heard or bring up or whatever, let him work his way back onto the ball where he wasn't, he wasn't individually bringing it up right to the team of the pressure. So I thought the Knicks kind of tried, but I thought the Hawks coaching staff and the execution on the players' part were, were really quick to respond and kind of take a different approach um, on those possessions or for that stretch of game. So I, I thought there was a little bit thrown in there that maybe almost was missed just because how quick the adjustment was in other ways. <laughs> That's true, yeah, and it never seemed like it persisted. For sure, yeah. It, it When – when they would sort of maybe, I don't know if I could say defeat it by, you know, bringing him from the corner, but into the middle, you know, with some handoff action or whatever, it seemed like two minutes later, he was back to getting free runners in the middle of the pace. So <laughs> to your point, it, it, none of it ever really stuck. And it was just a matter of time before he kind of got back downhill in the way that he likes to. Yeah. Um. Do you think it's possible that the Knicks could have coped some bad habits into the Hawks? Like I, I think in a lot of ways it was their best it was in their best interest to 
I wouldn't say their best interest, but it was a little bit too easy for them to be bad defensively at the point of attack just because they knew that the way things were lined up behind them, that there was another wave of defense waiting to help them. Uh, you know, the way the Knicks played in the series, the way the Knicks used their rotation with, with Taj Gibson and New Orleans so well, it just felt like if, when Clint Capella was in the game especially, that they didn't really need to be all that sharp at the point of attack uh, just as long as they were, you know, one sort of, you know, doing what they needed to in terms of rotations and, and you know, two had somebody like, Clint Capella in there because he was just kind of allowed to be the free safety in a lot of cases and just kind of protect the rim more than guard against any one particular player. Yeah, it's, it, I guess it's hard for me to say bad habits per se. Um, I, I know exactly where your questions come from. And I think it's a great question and really relevant question because that was the area of defensive play where they struggled the most in that series. But the, the Knicks just don't have a lot of players that are going to kind of threaten you individually at the point of attack as a ball handler or creator. So the Hawks, one. <laughs> right, for one, sure. One really good one. And he kind of, I guess, ran out of gas. You know, he, he wasn't super effective in game five. And, I mean, he was so good in, early in the series that I don't think it's fair to expect anyone to kind of play at that level every single game in any series. But the Hawks' priority was to kind of back the paint especially when Randall had the ball and to try to do that when Rose did, even they had a harder time with that. And then to chase shooters and guys that were are basically only shooters off the three-point line and make them dribble a few times rather than just getting a shot there. So I think the priorities that they deployed made sense for that matchup. Right. But I, I think it's hard to say bad habits. I, I don't know, but is much of what they did defensively in this series um, – projectable to the next series? No. <laughs> no. The I mean, Philadelphia is not full of, like, guard and wing creators, but they have more than the Knicks did. Um, you know, for sure. You know, ben Simmons will throw more at them just because he'll – I mean, in a way, Ben Simmons is a little bit of a mashup of Randall and Rose, kind of. Yeah. You know, the physicality and you know, just how quick he is and things like that, how good he is downhill with angles. But he's a better, better, better passer than either one of them, I think, obviously. But, you know, he'll, uh, Simmons will expose um, any kind of fast continued deficiency at the point of attack in the way that really no one, apart from Rose, did on the Knicks. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not like he's the only one. I mean, Tobias Harris, it's not his forte, but you close out on him and he'll, he'll, he's good enough to punish a, cl- a close out on him in the way that, say, Reggie Bullock or Alec Burks is and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So I think I, that, I feel like uh, that's underselling him a little bit. Uh, for sure. Not, not comparing him to those players, but I don't think he's a little bit. Like, I think he's a lot better in terms of yeah. in those two. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to say is that, that he's not thought of as a guy who's like going to like use a tricky dribble like constantly as his first tool he goes to, right? right. Kind of work past defenders. And he doesn't threaten the point of attack quite in that way, say like, you know, I mean, an extreme examples like a Russell Westbrook or, you know, or, or whoever. Um, Kyrie Irving. Um, but for me, I think that's what the Hawks coaching staff must be working the hardest on right now is how they almost reinvent their defensive approach to factor for what the things that fill. I mean, 
I mean, to start with, they basically ignored Tasha Gibson and Rose Noel that whole series. And we don't, I mean, we don't know what Joe Beat's true status is. That'll be a huge factor. And that that's another complicating factor for the Hawks coaching staff is you have to plan for him and not for him, you know. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, I personally think we'll see him some in this series. They may, you know, but the Hawks have to be prepared for that. And so it, the Hawks really are almost back into the defensive drawing board, right, in, in my mind. Um, do you think that's kind of overstating it at all? No, I mean, it, I don't think it's, I don't think it's overstating. I mean, I think initially, and Embiid's status maybe factors into this somewhat, but you know, sort of issue number one is how do you sort of deal with the Simmons, Tobias Harris problem? Like, how do you line up the Hawks defenders against those two? I think my gut instinct is to try to try to use. John Collins on Simmons, uh, yeah, John Collins on Simmons some, and, and try DeAndre Hunter on Tobias Harris, but I think they're almost going to have to have some contingency plans uh, in case they try it out and they start looking at it and they're like, oh yeah, this this isn't going to work. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we all know that like Gallo, for example, dropped on Randall and that was effective. Um, it wasn't all that was going on there. We've talked about that before. Um, but, you know, you throw a second defender at Simmons like they did Randall, and Simmons is going to kill you with his passing, you know, in a way yes. that Randall just never saw the pass. So that's, yeah. that's, that's what, you know, for me, it's like, does Ken Collins drop a little bit on Simmons the way Gallo did on Randall and kind of make that work, which, would, which my thought process is it would free up Hunter for Harris, you know, is that kind of your best way to start? It, it'll be fascinating to, to kind of see how that goes. It'll also be interesting to see, um, you know, how they leverage Capella, you know, in the series to kind of help on that or to not help on that. Or are they going to have to tell the Hawks perimeter defenders, you don't have as much help behind you in the series as you did in the last series because Clint's going to be, you know, busy trying to take care of his own primary guy. <laughs> yeah, know? that's not so a I mean, they have to tell them that. Right. Um, I mean, even if he were to, even if he were to literally stand in the same spots that he did against the Knicks, he can't get away with that because even Dwight Howard or, or Joel Embiid is going to be a better finisher at the rim than than Taj Gibson or sure. Nerlens Noel. Like just just the fact that they can finish at the rim is going to have to make him think a little bit differently about uh, yeah what he yeah. does. Let alone any kind of spacing if, if Embiid is moving around the floor. Yeah, and I mean, and I don't know if Hawks fans appreciate like Seth Curry has a whole whole another dimension to their offense this year. He's one of the single best shooters in the whole league, and he's good off the catch, off the dribble. He's awesome at relocating. He has all the little nuance in his game. And if you you know are pulling in help from a spot up guy, if that guy spot up guy is Seth, you know you're gonna get you're gonna pay the price in a way that you know, the Hawks did that constantly against the Knicks, and you know sort of played the math game, if you will, in terms of how many of those shots will the Knicks make and can we chase them off the three-point line knowing that if we can get, just get them to dribble one time that we're in pretty good shape because of the limitations of those guys. That's kind of out the window here. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how do they design help against this team. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be harder to help. It's going to be harder in some ways to sink, you know, from some areas and Doc will move Seth around and, 
kind of stress the Hawks defense a little bit. So that's definitely the thing I'm watching out of the gate is, um, you know, how have the Hawks coaching staff, how much, you know, re-engineering, you know, have they done with that defense and what does it look like? It's going to be fascinating to find out for sure. So in this series, uh, Trey's defensive responsibilities, just in terms of the player he's guarding, is, for him is, is guarding presumably Danny Green going to be a lot like guarding Reggie Bullock? Like it, it, it kind of plays out the same way for him? Like they're not going to put him on Seth Curry, are they? I, I think Seth would be kind of a disaster. I think Green is the way I would go, you know, yeah, if we're totally that's what I would do. someone asked this completely unqualified person, you know. Um, I The difference is, is that Philly runs a ton of flare screens. And that is, in my mind, that's the action straight, Trey has struggled the most with right. uh, in, the, in the league, even maybe even mm-hmm. more so like being directly at the point of attack, you know, trying to defend a guy with the ball, ball, ball handler. Um, you know, I – I most starkly remember, you know, Joe Harris, you know, just kind of constantly losing him when Brooklyn was running that. But, you know, I'd rather have him chase Danny Green, uh, you know, over a player screen than, than Seth. Seth is just – Green's a good cheater, um, but, uh, but Seth is, has a quicker release. Seth, you know, is, is better shooter on the move than Green is and all of that. So I just think there's um, more damage, you know, to, to take on if you're the Hawks if, if Trey is trying to deal with Seth, kind of managing himself over all the screens. I think it is Danny Green. I guess that puts Bogdanovich on Seth, potentially. I guess the start, I guess that's the only way kind of to go. Um, Hunter on Harris, I think we decided, and John on Simmons, and I'll see who's playing center. Yeah, it's crazy how how much better the East is. Like, first of all, you've got Brooklyn, which is just sort of, you know, a team that rose from the ashes. They're, they're just a completely different team than what they had healthy and on the roster last season. But, you know, just Drew Holiday and Seth Curry, like those are two guys that as soon as they acquire those players, it's like, oh, that fixes a lot of their problems. For sure. And, and I have so much more confidence in this Philly team because of Seth Curry. Yeah, he's just that was the missing piece. They just didn't really have any shooting last year, and they were able to get him in exchange for Josh Richardson, who's you know a well liked guy across the league. He's just kind of a, a versatile, you know, guard wing kind of guy, but he's not quite a point guard. He's not quite a creator. He's not quite a knock knockdown shooter. He's yeah. yeah, he's good at a lot of stuff. A little, but. A little duplicative, I think, with with Danny Green. I mean, not not that they're identical, but it's I think it's right. hard to play both of them when you just need other things. Yeah, and of course, for where Philly wants to go, Dean Green has won championships and played this role on teams that actually won championships. You mean won so championships? This could be his third in a row. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's, the point to it, that's the point I'm trying to emphasize is that you know, a lot of people are like, oh, um, Josh Richardson, Al, Danny Green, what, they weren't the same transaction, but you know, that's who was basically right. stepping into the role which yeah. had here. Uh, I mean, Danny Green knows exactly what it takes to kind of, you know, fill that role that Philly's looking for him to fill. Like, like I said, he's done it on teams that have won championships before. Um, so, I mean, even that was a pretty big upgrade. I, I, I kind of laugh about Danny Green. I, I enjoy him as a player, but it feels like, you're, you know, watch, he's either six for six or one for eight from the three-point line. <laughs> you know, and I don't know how to ever project, like, which one it's going to be. And the, 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 def- the defense doesn't always – 
seem to have an impact on what it is. He just misses or makes, and he makes them all or misses them all is what it seems like. And that'll probably happen in this series. He'll probably have a five for five and a one for seven or, you know, whatever, kind of how that goes. But um, sometimes but, it's I mean, just that, a whole week of the same. Like, it might be six for six, like <laughs> four games in a row, or yeah. one for seven, four games in a row. It just seems like that's – it seems like it, his streaks are more than one-game streaks. Like, he'll just get in a group. I remember when the championship they won in Toronto, like that was game seven, if I remember correctly, Kawhi literally had to carry the whole offense for like the whole second half of that more than that. <laughs> I, think, I think Danny was like one for nine in that game or something like one for nine overall and like eight of them were three or something like that. And I think he actually ended up sitting the closing stretch of that game, just didn't play much in the fourth quarter and that, that, that can happen. But this, I mean, I know that, from what I see on Twitter and different comment sections or whatever, you know, Hawks fans, I think, feel like, oh, we've done pretty well against Philly in the last two or three years since Trey came. And they have. They've gotten some nice wins. You know, we all remember the Kevin Herter game where J.C. hit the game winner and, yeah. you know, and different things like that. And But this Philly team is a serious team, <laughs> very serious team, uh, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be hard. Um, yeah, I, I think this is the best iteration of Philly. Like, I don't think you've been this sure. good in the past. Yeah, I think Tobias Harris had, I think, his best season in the league uh, this year. And Simmons seems to embrace kind of the usage and the role and kind of the the non-glamorous stuff that Doc really has – somehow it seems like Doc or someone else that's convinced him that that's really what Steve needs for him. There's not the drama that we used to see around this team constantly and all the time is – not really there anymore. And I mean, people kind of make jokes about Doc, you know, because of uh, his own um, kind of journey, you know, as a coach, you know, through different circumstances and situations, you know, the Clippers losing to the Josh Smith Houston Rockets, you know, there's like so many different, but I'm sorry, but Doc Rivers knows how to kind of engineer a team and get guys in their roles and help them understand that. Um, you know, the outcomes of some of those series where they lost two teams that were lower seeds and you, know, you think the Clippers were, I, I, I don't want to go back and kind of, you know, re-litigate all of that sort of stuff, but Doc knows what he's doing. And sure. he has this team really in a, in a good place. You know, obviously the big asterisk right now is, you know, what's what's in, the impact it means to have on the series and no one can control that. But this is, this is a serious team. In fact, I went on uh, a friend of mine, Dane Morris, hit his podcast about a week ago, and I think I said, no, I did, I did say that I would pick, at that time, with a healthy Embiid before he got hurt, that I would probably pick Philly over Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I mean, even if, if, if Embiid returns now, I don't know that I would feel as strongly, but I, I can see that. I... I I kind of felt all along that Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee might be some sort of game of rock, paper, scissors where, you know, <laughs> A can be B, B can be C, but C can be A. And I kind of like Philly in the Philly-Brooklyn matchup. Unfortunately for Bucks fans, I, I, I think the Nets are a terrible matchup for them. I think Bucks I, – I think the Bucks really don't have a shot. But um, that's how we watch the game, so we'll see if I'm wrong. What – what do you think is is? I mean, I think it's pretty clear that for the last uh, three months, 
the Hawks have done pretty well managing tempo and forcing their tempo that they desire on opponents, especially when it's been a slower tempo, um, fourth quarters, late in games. But Philly seems to have this contrast where, you know, Simmons is such an unbelievable player playing fast and Embiid is such a wonderful, deliberate player playing slow. Um, you know, in all the sort of iterations of, of Embiid's health, what do you think is going to be the right tempo approach for the Hawks to take in this one? You know, this sounds like such coaching cliche, but I think it's to be opportunistic. You know, I mean, if Embiid is lumbering up and down the floor, I think you've got to look for opportunities to kind of make him run. Um, uh, I mean, I, that might sound bad, but this is the NBA, and that's how it works. <laughs> you right. know? And, and that's a, honestly, that's certainly a huge Clint Capella strength. Because he just runs the floor so well. Yeah, it, yeah, and I don't think people understand, like, the when the Hawks have Capella and Collins on the floor, two elite rim runners, you know. Yeah. Uh, so if one of them is, like, re, rebounding the basketball, the other one can get out and, and run and act like a rim runner. That's a pretty big deal. Even with, even with Dwight out there, you know, Dwight – you know, five, six years ago was one of the elite rim runners himself. Maybe I don't, maybe go back a little further. I don't know. Um, but even now, you know, I think he, you watch him like sprint the floor one time and you're like, Oh, it's still there, but you can tell he really doesn't want to do it now that he's old. I mean, you know, there are things I don't do as vigorously as I did 10 years ago myself, but I'm not an NBA player, you know? So, um, you know, uh, I'm not as eager to get out the yard work or, you know, whatever it is, you know, stuff like that. But um, so, it, you know, that is going to be, I think, a big part of it. But I think if the Hawks are playing too fast for their own good, that's when they become pretty mistake prone. So I think it's going to be a pretty delicate balance for them to strike. Um, but, you know, I I was going into the Knicks series, I was concerned the first couple of games, the first game and a half, two games would be a struggle for them to kind of find their equilibrium for what was right for that matchup. And they struck it from like minute one, you know, this is a different challenge. This is a challenge on a different level, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to say they can't find it early, you know, find the equilibrium. It doesn't mean that they're going to win, you know, this is a harder challenge, but they, they surprised me in the first round by kind of striking that balance and finding the gear to get themselves into in round one. And why can't they do that here in round two? You know, I'm not going to say they can't, but it's going to be a narrower, I think, I think a narrower path to kind of try to keep it there, in my view. Going, we, we sort of talked about matchups. I'm trying to sort of filter through the game of musical chairs here, you know, for if we're kind of lining up Collins with Simmons and Hunter with Harris and Trey with Danny Green, that kind of puts Bogdan on Seth Curry. And that one worries me a little bit. I I just think that I I love what, what Bogdan did defensively in the Knicks series. And he has some some strengths. I just think that someone like Kevin Herter is going to be better suited to that. I think that plays into more of his defensive strengths in terms of, uh, you know, sort of taking off ball angles, you know, trying to deny the ball, trying to chase people through screens and over screens. I think that's, especially off ball, that's stuff that he does really well. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think Bogdanovich is. I think we've talked about before that he's strong. He's he's a big guard. You know, uh, Herder's not small, um, but Bogdan is. You know, has sort of like grown full grown man strength, and he's he's stout. Right, and 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 Herder is just. Um, you know, he has a body type that makes it easier to navigate screens. He's not as big and you know muscular and bulky as. So I think you're exactly right. How how they adjust the rotation to kind of get Herder on the court enough time with Seth is that'll be interesting, you know, to me to see how he works that out. And I, I wonder. I think the Hawks are going to have to win this on offense in the series. They they can totally lose a game on defense, but in my mind, they need like Gallo to punt. I mean, to play at the five with like you know we can call Collins the five or whatever, but. I think you're going to see time where Gallo and Collins are out there for a pretty good bit, and they try to punish the fact that Embiid and uh, Dwight want to sit back in the paint. That's what they do. And, you know, so I think a lot of the series that come down to Gallo shooting and Gallo being good enough on defense to stay on the court so that he can be that offensive weapon. But roundabout way to be getting to, I think we might see a lot of Trey Bogdanovich herder lineups. In you know in this series where they're kind of matching up you know in in that way you know so um, you know maybe not against the Philly starting unit because Simmons is sort of the one that kind of throws a wrench into how you'd want to match up across the board. Yeah, I wouldn't hate Bogdan on Tobias Harris honestly. I think a lot of his no. stuff he wants to play with you. We, you know he wants to put his back on you in a lot of situations, and I think that's something that the Bogdan handles well. Like he handled it well against Randall. In a lot of situations, he did, and and when and when, uh, I mean, uh, and it was in the video that I put together for Peace Street Hoops that when the Hawks were pulling their bigs, mostly Capella across the paint on the side where Randall had the ball, it was often Bogdanovich that went down and kind of collected Noah Mertage and dealt with him as the you know Capella left to go, and he did a wonderful job just fighting there. Um, so I think that's a good call because Harris does love to start possessions with his back to his defender, um, and then convert it almost to a face-up. But if you can um, force him to start that action 18 feet from the basket instead of 14, that's pretty good value. And Bogdan's pretty well suited for that. And I don't think even for stretches, I don't think Bogdan is a terrible matchup for Simmons either, because just because he'll be, he'll be physical with Simmons. He'll, you know, he'll take a foul if he need to just to kind of cut off his path to the basket if there's an easy basket that you know, seems to be kind of – manifesting and stuff like that. So I think they have some options to go, you know, three-guard lineups. And I think that if you look at what Philly does on defense, that that's, that's going to be the thing that stresses them. It, it's hard to generate, especially if they're playing Embiid and, and Dwight, basically at center for the whole 40 minutes. Uh, I'll be honest, it's hard to generate shots at the rim against those guys. But when you, when you put lineups on the floor, whether it's Gallo at the five with Collins or whatever that looks like, we're three guards – with Herter, Trey, and McDonough, I think getting extra shooting on the floor against Philly is kind of the first formula I think is that's the most likely to, to give the Hawks a path to being really competitive in the series, is getting more shooting on the board. Because um, I don't think anybody in the league can deal with Embiid if, if he's feeling, you know, remotely clear. I mean, he shot something like – he scored like, what, 28 a game on like 63% true shooting. Or, I mean, it's just ridiculous, you know. And as good as Capella is, you, you, you can't defend him with one guy throughout the whole game. He's just going to take more bodies of that stuff. So, uh, you know, I think getting 
heavier shooting lights on the floor. Does it mean we see more Snell in this series? Maybe. You know, Snell's probably a little useful against Harris defensively. And, you know, so I, I just not going to – I I shouldn't say I'm not going to be surprised. I expect to see them deploy more shooting heavy lineups in this series than we did against the Knicks. At one point, I think you mentioned that there were some things that New York did similar to, to what Philadelphia did. Uh, where are those things? Well, I, I think it's keeping the big drop back. And I think it's, they're, they're not risk takers. They don't go out seeking stills. Um, I mean, Simmons will pounce passing lanes for sure, but that's more of a kind of individual free safety because he's capable of doing that and recovering so well. Yeah. I think, but there's nobody else on that roster that, that does that for them. Um, you know, we'll see if, you know, how, we'll see how deep Doc takes the rotation, you know, um, and, and stuff. But it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Shake does a little bit of that sometimes, but I, and uh, certainly Tybal does too, you know. But to be honest, they've kind of coached those guys to be a little, little more under control than they were, you know, when they were like, you know, first becoming rotation guys in the league. So they were kind of all over the place. And it was exciting to see clips on Twitter, you know, and stuff like that. But Doc is all about responsibility and assignment first and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he trusted, I think, Ben a little bit more. Um, but but Ben has some size to work with and some strength to work with. Those guys don't. But Shake, Shake will get out there and take some risks, and so will Tybal and stuff, and they'll have to monitor that. Um, but what's different is basically – I think I wonder how much Tybal will be on Trey. And that's just something the Knicks didn't have, you know. So from a scheme perspective, it's very similar, except they do have guys that can jump passing lanes more so, even though that's not what they try to do all the time. The difference is the capable on-ball defense that you get. I mean, Danny Green has spent his whole career basically as a point guard defender. That's what he was for Spurs all that time. And that's what he was for the Raptors too. You know, Lowry was so strong, but he would, Lowry's really good off ball and as a defender as well, and kind of you know creating turnovers for the off ball starting point. And and so, but they have Tybal and you know, Shake's pretty good, kind of in that role too. And it's going to be um, they have Simmons to throw a tray, and so that that is what will be vastly different from what New York can do. I mean, I thought we'd see maybe more Neil Aquina as the series went on because that's supposed to be what he's about, but that never really worked out. And except the one possession that the this is the one we all know about now, you know, but the, this, this is just one more way that this team is on another level in terms of what the Hawks are going into. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how Trey tackles that. So the same as scheme, mostly dropped bigs, protecting the paint, not doing too much crazy stuff, um, but the, just the individual defenders that get their Trey, that's 180 to me. Yep. That's, that's pretty scary. Uh, is there anything you wanted to say about this series that my questions haven't led you to? Um, I, no, not really. Um, but I just think it's going to – I think the, if, the, if the Hawks are really competitive, if not outright win the series, um, you know, that obviously be more – it's going to come down to – Point shooting heavy lineups, and that's really just what I, I don't see a lot else that makes me feel great, you know, except for the fact that they were just really, a, a, from a assignment perspective and excuse perspective, they were really, really, really good in the first round, you know. And so, 
maybe even if they don't have, if they have a game where they don't shoot the ball as well, you know, maybe they'll exceed my expectations and still stay in that game just because of how dogged they were and how committed they were to all their assignments and, you know, uh, team principles. I mean, we really also. didn't get to see Hunter Capella Collins that often. But I feel like, you know, we're saying, well, you know, they did that in the first round. But really, it seems like all those lineups have been stingy all the times they've been able to use them. Like that first week of the yeah. season, the last couple of weeks of the regular season, first round of the playoffs. It's like anytime you've been able to play Collins, Capella, uh, and Hunter together, like those are very stingy defensive lineups. Like there's just a lot there. There's a lot of size, a lot of rim protection, uh, a lot of awareness. I don't think them being, you know, super duper on defense wasn't necessarily an aberration. Uh, the Knicks aren't going to be nearly the offensive team that Philadelphia is, but I don't think we can just entirely discount the fact that we really don't have a huge sample size for, for that trio, but pretty much everything that we've seen from that trio the whole time has been gangbusters on our defense. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't mean to say that we're not going to see that group. I just mean that as they work out the rotation, I think we're going to see heavier shooting lineups worked throughout the game than like we did against the Knicks. I mean, they, took Snell out of the rotation, put Solomon Hill in, you know, halfway through that next series, as just one example. Um, and they didn't play a lot of three-guard lineups against, you know, the Knicks because they wanted, you know, bigger bodies to kind of pack the paint and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, so we'll see. I mean, you, what, if, for example, you have to assume that if it be plays, the plan will be to double him. It, running trade down there is not going to do it. <laughs> so you need, you know, a bigger lineup like a, you know, Collins at four hundred at the three to give you options to kind of, you know, get a big guy, you know, down there doubling on and beat. So you do need some sides out there too. My my feeling is just that when I visualize a pass for the Hawks, it comes down to them punishing um, what the Sixers do defensively from a ski perspective by putting the shooters at the four and the five for stretches and putting three guards on the floor for some stretches, um, even three guards to push the pace when indeed, you know, might be, you know, four or five minutes into a six or seven minute stretch and trying to hit, you know, a pace for a few, you know, so I just think you have to be strategic about getting more offense built in at the right times when it's safe to do so, you know, for them to, to have a path. That's something that they really have to do. I always, I thought eventually against the Knicks was like, if they put up a hundred, if the Hawks put up 105 points, the Knicks just can't put up those points. You know, they just have to be a low scoring game. And it's not, the, that's not the thing with the Sixers. So I, I you know, Nate exceeded my expectations in the first round. I mean, we all talked about what he did in game two and, you know, really kind of rolling with a full second unit lineup for a while. And we only saw a very brief episode of that, you know, later in the series. Um, and because he's, he's been known to be in previous, you know, playoff experiences, pretty, pretty rigid, you know, it's the brand anyway. I don't know if that's f- fully fair or not. Um, but I think that he's going to have to kind of be really on his toes and seek opportunities to kind of pounce and get some extra shooting or some extra speed or some smaller lineups on the floor, not just to do it, but just at the right time to take advantage and give his team some uh, you know, good leverage minutes, you know, here and there when it's possible. That's just the way I look at it. 
Is, is there a way for Nate to be an opportunist to look for chances to try to cover and be with just one player and just get out of doubling? Is it, is it something where, okay, Embiid's going to play six minutes. Can you, can you get away with it for the second three minutes? Or is it something you do when Seth Curry sits? As soon as Seth Curry goes out, okay, now that's when we want to double. But when Seth Curry's out there, maybe that's when we don't want to double. Like, is, is there some way for him to be opportunist to look for the best chances for situations where he can go with a single coverage on Embiid and not double? Yeah, I think that's going to be very situational too. I, for example, one of the risks you run of not doubling him is to get Capella in foul trouble, you know, because the B is just so good at drawing the contact. So if you're, for, let's say you're in the third quarter and Capella has one foul, you can kind of up that risk, you know, decision a little bit. I think there is an opportunity to do that. And like to your point, if you can do it when Seth is off, um, they don't have as much shooting on and things like that. That's an opportunity. So I think that it'll, that's what will be interesting in the series is that, like I said, I want to be really open-minded to seeing how Nate can approach this. And he, like I said, he, I, I, well, just like the Hawks kind of played above their brand, whether it's a fair branding around them or not, Nate, I thought, coached above his playoff branding, if you will. And I'm, I want to be open-minded to, to kind of look for him to kind of step up and be really tactical, you know, kind of in that way, game by game, quarter by quarter, and all that sort of stuff. But it, I think I think you look at, is, is Capella okay from the foul trouble situation? Does Philadelphia have one of their, you know, lesser shooting lineups on the floor for a few minutes? And, and it's be able to kind of recognize that and say, this is when we can potentially get him straight up. Um, you Wait, know, a lot of it is... Play him straight up when the sh- don't play him straight up when the shooting is worse. Wait, you want to double him when the shooting is worse? It's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I said that backwards. Yeah. I, I, I uh, made a convoluted sentence the first time I said it, so that was my fault. Sorry. I made no, no, pretzel the, logic. Yeah, I just yeah, – I said the opposite of what I intended to say. Um, but but it, I think the point is there's a confluence of factors and variables that would need to be kind of detected quickly and then it kind of pounce on that opportunity. But another part is that you know, one of the most fascinating things about Embiid as the league has moved away from post-play and to have a team that's really built around the beat as kind of traditional big, not the passing big, like facilitating big, like Jokic and things like that, is that they've, one way they've addressed the issue of the fact that post play is still inefficient for even the best post players is they made him into a face-up player. And that's fascinating to me um, because it's a little easier from a defend without failing standpoint to deal with a face-up player, even though it still good at kind of, taking advantage of someone who's not disciplined with their hands. Um, but, I mean, Capella is awesome, like, guarding face-up. You know, he's good at mirroring, and even with smaller guys, he holds up, you know, in those situations. And so it's going to be – that's going to be interesting to me is does it, does it be continue to function mostly as a face-up guy? Um, because, you know, I feel like if you double him when he's playing with his back to the basket, that's less and less these days, like I just said. That's when he turns the ball over. He can't really see the floor. He doesn't see the double coming and all that sort of stuff. One of the reasons I think they turn him into a face-up player is he can see the floor. He's less turnover prone that way. He, see, he sees the, the second defender coming immediately. Um, but one thing I haven't spent any time on is are there things you can do to coax him to go back to working with his back to the basket? You know, 
that'll be interesting to kind of to kind of see. Um, you know, he tends to want to function facing the basket up closer to the elbow, and when he's closer to the baseline, work the basket. Back. So, but can you influence the catch of the ball? That's something that'll be interesting to watch for me. That, that I think the chess game is going to go up like eight or nine levels in this series from from where it was against the Knicks, because the Knicks were basically one thing the whole series. Like Tibbs never really made adjustments. He didn't really have any other players to go to. That's not going to be the case here. Doc will roll with the punches and uh, you know and all that sort of stuff. And I'm fascinated to to see how Nate um, kind of goes to the with him. Very good. I uh, thank you for taking the time to join me. Yeah. What's the thing you're most excited to see in the series? What the one most excited to see. I kind of just want to see. I do think that Philadelphia is going to defend Trey a lot like New York, but with just better players. Yeah. Um, but I just I want to see that. I just want to. I want to see Trey against another defense. Really, and it doesn't, doesn't, you know. Honestly, I'm not all that particular. I mean, just Trey against a bad defense or Trey against a switching defense. Like, I just, I just want to see Trey against another defense. I, he was so good. I just don't think the Knicks adjusted all that well to the things that he was doing. And I just, I, I want to see Trey play some more chess. I agree. I think the the challenge goes up, and watching Trey respond to this challenge will be fascinating. I think fun. But yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I would you know it could have been Washington just to see a different team, but obviously you know I have a, a lot more regard for Philadelphia in terms of what they have on defense. They're they're really really good. Um, so. Uh, I'm excited to see that, but I would have honestly been excited to to see Trey play another defense in any situation. I just I just want to see him doing more in in this postseason extravaganza. Yeah, a lot to track. How they deal with flare screens? What's the matchup for Green Seth that makes sense to help with all of that action? What does Philly throw at Trey? Which defenders do they throw at Trey? What does that look like? How does Trey respond to that? Can they? Can the Hawks? force a beat back to playing more of this back to the basket some and use that to create more turnovers and lower I mean there's the list is a lot longer in this one. I felt like the Hawks Knicks games were almost like watching the the same movie five times. <laughs> it's just, it, yeah. There wasn't that dynamic of adjustment and the adjustment to the adjustment and all that sort of stuff. I thought Nate did some really good stuff to kind of improve um, you know the game plan from the coaching perspective, rotations and the way, you know, minutes were divided and all that sort of stuff, but it's going to go up exponentially here. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic and excited to see how it goes. It's going to be hard. Um, but, uh, Hawks, I think are kind of playing with house money at this point. So try, let's just try to make it fun. All right, man. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Have a good night.